0: We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard.
1: Godspeed, John Glenn. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. I feel
0: out. Okay, I'm out. How does it feel for the United States to be
1: the new record holder? At last, huh?
0: Hello and welcome to this Dog Days of Summer, episode number 315 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Apollo 14, Moonwalk 1, Part 3, ALSEP Deployment.
2: But they are running a half a... Of- hour now almost behind schedule in deploying these uh, scientific experiment packages on the moon, but the flight of Apollo 14 certainly seems to be going very well.
0: The Apollo 14 landing site at Framaro was chosen because lunar scientists had studied it for years and decided it likely contained some of the moon's older rocks. But the landing site turned out to be far more undulating than the photographs Shepard and Mitchell had studied. The two previous lunar landings were in wide, flat areas known as marae. Apollo 14 was the first to land amid the moon's jagged foothills, which made walking more difficult. The astronauts found that it was easier if they kept a one two one-two, one-two pace that was more like a horse's trot than the left-right, left-right gait of a jogger. Also, they learned to lean forward to keep their balance. But the land bucked and buckled, and the harsh glare of the sun made the landscape appear flat, casting unreliable shadows. With no points of reference, Craters seemed to appear suddenly beneath their feet. Boulders that seemed a mile away were suddenly within spitting distance. Shepard said it was as tough as trying to find your way around the Sahara Desert. Now, about 26 minutes behind schedule, Shepard and Mitchell have arrived at the area and selected the precise location for the deployment of the Apollo Lunar Surface Experiment Package. ALSEP. This was the high point of Moonwalk 1. I can see that this is going to be a considerably
2: slower process than expected. And uh, for reference, Al Ed, you're about 2-9 uh, minutes behind the timeline at this point. Over.
0: The final location for ALSEP deployment turned out to be about twice as far away from the Antares as planned, around 600 feet. The goal was to be 300 feet away, but that location was in a depression, which was not suitable. In addition to finding a spot that had little elevation change, the real problem was trying to find an area flat enough for the central station and still have a reasonably straight line to lay out the active seismic experiment. Okay, Ed is working on the central
1: station and I'm going over for the sub-ballot. RTG cable temperature is 175 degrees.
0: Roger out. Ed Mitchell's first task was to set up the central station. The central station was essentially the command center for the entire ALSEP system. It was housed in a 25-kilogram box. It received commands from Earth, transmitted data, and distributed power to each experiment. Communications with Earth were achieved through a 58-centimeter long modified axial helical antenna mounted on top of the central station and pointed toward Earth by the astronauts. Transmitters, receivers, data processors, and multiplexers were housed within the central station. A dust detector was mounted on top of the station, which measured the accumulation of lunar dust. The central station would not be powered until all the other experiments were deployed. Shepard's first task was to deploy the sub The ALSEP sub held the suprathermal ion detector, the cold cathode ion gauge, and the passive seismic experiment stool. Okay, sub is deployed northeast of the central station. Mitchell next began deploying the Active Seismic Experiment, or ASE. The ASE was designed to provide data on the physical structure and bearing strength of the lunar surface by measuring seismic waves. Two types of man-made seismic sources were used with the Active Science Experiment. First, a pyrotechnic thumper that Mitchell would fire and second, a mortar-like device from which four rocket-propelled grenades could be launched by command from Earth. Naturally occurring seismic events would be detected by geophones deployed by Mitchell. Two wires, each about 310 feet long, connected the active seismic experiment to the central station. One of the wires was connected to the thumper and carried firing signals from the thumper to the central station. The other wire connected three geophones placed at 10, 160, and 310 feet from the central station. The geophones detected seismic activity after each thumper firing. After Mitchell deployed the geophone wire, he made his way back toward the central station and, at predetermined intervals, stopped and used the thumper to fire a small explosive charge that produced a seismic signal to give researchers back on Earth indications of the thickness of the regolith and of the underlying Framaro formation. To prevent interference with the geophone signal, the astronauts would have to stand still for twenty seconds before each firing of the thumper and five seconds after each firing. Here's the reaction to the first thumper firing. Hey, that's pretty good range out of that hey. thing really rip, isn't it? Pretty good range out of that baby. Results reported in the Apollo 14 Preliminary Science Report indicated that the regolith was about 8.5 meters thick and that the bottom of Frau Morrow Formation was somewhere in the range of 45 to 85 meters below the surface. While Ed was busy with the active science experiment, Al continued his work with the experiments on the sub palette.
2: Houston, uh, could you tell us where you are in the uh, side or BSE sequence?
1: Yes, Sir, the legs uh, right of the side have been deployed. BSE stool is being placed 10 feet north of the central station.
0: Roger. The side, S-I-D-E, that Al deployed was the superthermal ion detector. It was used to measure flux composition, energy, and velocity of low-energy positive ions and the high-energy solar wind flux of positive ions. Combined with the superthermal ion detector was the cold cathode ion gauge experiment. It was used to measure the density of the lunar atmosphere and any variations with time or solar activity of the atmosphere. Data gathered by the superthermal ion detector would yield information on whether volcanic processes exist on the moon, the effects of the ambient electric field, and ambient lunar atmospheric pressure, among other things. The PSE that Al spoke of was the Passive Seismic Experiment. It was designed to detect moonquakes either naturally or artificially created. The stool that he placed 10 feet north of the central station was used to set the passive seismic experiment on top of in order to minimize thermal contact with the ground. After Shepard and Mitchell returned to the command module in lunar orbit, the lunar module ascent stage will be jettisoned and commanded to impact on the lunar surface About 32 miles from the Apollo 14 landing site. The impact of the ascent stage, which provided a known mass and velocity, would be used to assist in calibrating the Apollo 14 Pacific Science Experiment readouts, as well as providing comparative readings between the Apollo 12 and 14 seismometers forming the first two stations. Of a lunar surface seismic network. Adam, the task that men's Ed Mitchell's task that tried men's patience was deploying the Active Seismic Experiments mortar package. The mortar package contained a set of grenades which were planned to be fired to distances of 500, 1,000, 3,000, and 5,000 feet to the north, after the crew left the moon, of course. The purpose was to create larger seismic signals to gain information from surface depths of up to 500 meters. Okay, the is, uh, in place. Roger. Mitchell's next experiment was called the plea or Charged Particle Lunar Environmental Experiment. The C plea was to measure particle energy of solar protons and electrons that reached the lunar surface. This would provide data on energy distribution of those solar particles and contribute toward a greater understanding of their effect on the Earth-Moon system. For example, the relationship of the solar wind to Earth auroras, the Van Allen Belt Radiation, characteristics of the Earth's magnetic tail as it is swept downstream by the solar wind, and effect of charged particles upon the lunar environment. Okay, the seat please
1: starting to come off now. Watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it. Yep, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, the seat please coming off. No, it's not.
2: Not there. And uh, just by way of reference, uh, I show you about uh, 3 8 minutes behind the nominal timeline at this point.
1: Okay, we'll give you a little for
2: that, Bruce. Roger. And uh, we're looking right now at about a uh, 30 minute extension. I'll have more word for you on that later.
1: Okay, Houston, the seaplane is deployed. It is, the ball is within the inner ring. And it is uh, lined up to east. Roger it. Yeah, yeah that looks clean and pretty, doesn't it? Yeah. so all sitting here. It won't look. All white, prim and proper. Do it very quite trim and proper yourself. A little
0: tarnished now, but... Except for the extremities, huh? With the main ALSEP experiments deployed, Shepard activated the central station. As the station sprang up into position, the foil covered sides shimmered for several seconds, which was visible on Mission Control's color TV. Okay, Houston,
1: keep you honest. Al is operating in the central station at the moment. Roger, honest Al. Okay, up comes the central station, and that's one for the
2: troops on the ground. Okay, we're watching. Can you
1: actually see it from
2: there? I couldn't see it move up. I can see something, uh, so to speak, flapping in the breeze. I guess that's the foil.
0: Flapping in the wind. Next, Al retrieved the central station's antenna mast, and mounted it to a set of gimbals, and attached them to the central station. Then he aligned the antenna to point it at Earth.
2: Honest, Al. This is Houston. How are you doing?
1: Fine, thank you, Honest Dave. I'm uh, process the leveling and the lining the antenna. Roger. Well, let's see what that site looks like. <laughs> okay, the antenna is leveled. Okay, is in the uh, central station antenna is, in lo- is aligned. I'm going to turn switch number one clockwise and switch number five counterclockwise. Are you with me? I'm with you, Go.
2: And uh, Al, for your information, they're receiving a good signal back from the l
0: Okay. Shepard now pressed on to deploy the Laser Ranging Retro Reflector, or LR-Cubed. As a side note, three laser ranging retro reflectors were deployed during the Apollo moon missions, one each by the Apollo 11, 14, and 15 crews. As of February 2005, the retro reflectors were still being used in conjunction with a dedicated facility at the McDonald Observatory in Texas. Okay, I press on with the LR
1: Cube. Do, 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 do. Okay, the LR Cube is deployed 100 feet west. Of the central station, it is level, sun index is zero. The cover is coming off now. Roger out. The uh, cover is off of the laser and it's completely clean. Roger. And it did not move during the cover removal.
0: Roger out. While Al was working with the central station and the LR cubed, Ed went back to laying out geophones and firing the thumper. The astronauts were granted a 30-minute extension on their walk, but they were about 35 minutes behind schedule at this point.
2: And Ed and Al, for your information, uh, you've been out uh, 3 hours and 35 minutes, and you're about uh, 35 minutes behind the nominal timeline with a half-hour extension expected.
0: Roger. Shepard was now tasked with photographing the ALSEP deployment as Mitchell continued firing the thumper. Once they were both finished, Houston radioed a warning that they were running out of time.
2: Hey Houston. Al and Ed, this is Houston. Uh, with a uh, one-half-hour extension, you have 18 minutes until you have to be back at sea, Mesa.
1: and uh, 3 zero extension is what
2: we have, is that correct? Yes, Roger. You are 3 hours and 56 minutes into the EVA at this time.
1: Okay, in that case, then uh, we will arm the mortar
0: package at the before we leave. Al indicated to Houston that he and Ed would proceed with arming the rocket-propelled grenade mortar package. Of course, the mortar was deployed with the safety on. Al and Ed Would now deactivate the safety, which would allow the mortar to be fired from Earth. Hey, go in, man. I'll
1: come over and help you with that thing, yeah? Okay, Houston, did you copy that uh, switch number five is clockwise and safe? Roger.
2: I now copy switch five clockwise and safe. Okay, we're going to arm
1: the mortar pack. Unlock and pull the safety rods. Hold her down. Al, this
2: is uh, place to hold it. Alan this is Houston. After arming the mortar pack, we'd like you to proceed back in the general direction of the limb, and uh, selecting a suitable area en route, collect the comprehensive sample, and uh, try to pick up a football-sized rock on the way. Over. Okay, that's our 10 Houston. And I'll give you uh, periodic reports on how much time you've got left until you have to be back at the Mesa.
0: Once the mortar was armed, Al and Ed proceeded in the direction of Antares, looking for rocks as they went along and loading them into the met that Al was now pulling. Ed really enjoyed not having to carry the ALSEP on the return trip.
2: Ed, this is Houston. Um, we show about eight minutes remaining until you should be at the Mesa to start closeout.
1: Okay, we will be able to uh, make the comprehensive sample at that time. Beautiful. Here, I don't close it here. There's one in here for that. Huh? There's one in here I picked up. Oh, okay. Nothing in here, then. Area. Yeah, just get uh, that area and then right here in this area and fill up the bag to arrive. Now I'll head on back a little further and get a football-sized rock. Okay. That's pretty good size. Let's back over in here. Okay, that's too big. Four long. okay Houston, you can see where the, the area where the football-sized rock is coming from. It's essentially uh, two-thirds of the way back toward the limb from the ALSAP site. Rock appears to have been ejected from the crater which Ed was describing earlier. a small football coming from the same crater, from the near the same crater, and at first glance appears to be fairly similar color. It's a large hand sample. It's essentially uh, non-vesicular, just some very small vesicles. Uh, the,
2: Here we've got two minutes. We'd like to get you on back to the yeah, center of the Mesa. It looks to be a fairly large crystal in that second
1: mile football rock. And Al is starting back toward the Mesa now. And I'm um, on my way to Roger. Okay, hey, we go. The number of surface rocks, or rocks compared with the number of surface
2: Camera. and it looks like you've gotten back to the uh, mesa here with about uh, 10 or 15 seconds to spare on our mark. Uh, we do have plenty of time for the nominal closeout, so uh, we don't want you to rush that. Just go through the procedures, and uh, we'll take the timing as it comes, and when you have a moment, we'd like to get the EMU status report.
0: Shepard and Mitchell went through their closeout procedure, which included stowing equipment, collecting a few more rocks, placing the samples in the vacuum-sealed rock box and using a paintbrush-type tool to dust each other off before returning to the cabin. Ed entered Antares first, while Al transferred equipment and samples to him. Finally, Al entered Antares, effectively ending Moonwalk 1. Salutations from the foothills of North Carolina. This is Michael Annis, your host, and I wanted to say thanks for listening to episode number 315 of the Space Rocket History Podcast, entitled Apollo 14, Moonwalk 1, Part 3, All SEP Deployment. Hope you enjoyed this highly detailed scientific episode. It was a pleasure to bring it to you. If you're looking for old episodes of the podcast, the first 144 are available on the archive podcast. Search for Space Rocket History Archive should be available on all pod catchers. Oh, wow, he is a big one. <laughs> In case you were not aware, we have entered the dog days of summer, a time when contributions to support the podcast reached their lowest level. In fact, the month of August was the lowest level of the year for listener support. So if you are enjoying the content provided here, please consider supporting the podcast if you're financially able. To do so, head over to the website, spacerockethistory.com. Click on the orange donate button to make a one-time contribution or the Patreon link to make small monthly contributions. Had a few afterthoughts. Hope you are enjoying reliving these moonwalks as much as I am, understanding what went on, the science equipment and its purpose, the difference between the highlands and the marae, and the rarity of the experience. I think this is time well spent, especially since the walks were the main purpose of the missions to the moon. I just find this fascinating. Now, I do want everyone to do something. Go to the website and look at the pictures for this episode and 314. You can see the equipment I am describing and the episode will make much more sense. Say, did you notice the slower pace of the moonwalk as compared with Apollo 12 and Pete Conrad running Al Bean around the moon? If you don't remember that, check out the Apollo 12 moonwalk episodes. And did you catch Al Shepard doing his doo do doo do 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 little song? Do you think that was an homage to Pete Conrad's dum-de-dum-dum song he sung on Apollo 12? <laughs> hey, what did you think about that thumper? Mitchell fired that thing and it created a seismic wave. That was used to measure depth of regolith. Pretty cool. Mitchell said it felt like firing both barrels of a 12-gauge shotgun at the same time. I guess it had a little kick. (laughs) Okay, the pictures for this episode are on the website, spacerockethistory.com. Please check that out. Okay, we did have three new contributions that came in this week. Brian A. from Australia donated at the Vostok level. Robert W. from Pennsylvania sent in another donation this year and moved to the Mir ISS level. And Bailey M. donated at the Sputnik level. Thank you for supporting the Space Rocket History Podcast. We are now at 231 Patreons. We lost about four as the month changed. Our total donors for 2019 have reached 397, with a goal of reaching 600 by the end of the year. For the 397 of you who have already donated for 2019, we certainly appreciate it. This week, we're giving away the SRH logo magnet to one of our lucky donors. Here's Mrs. SRH. Thanks, Mike. Hello, everyone. I am happy to announce this week's winner of the SRH logo magnet. With the help of Google's random number generator, I selected Peter Holgate. Peter Holgate, if you would email us, Mike at spacerockethistory.com, and tell us your address, we'll mail this out to you. Please accept my apology if I mispronounced your name. Thank you to all 397 of you who have contributed thus far in 2019. Okay, folks, that's all we have for this week. I will try to have episode 316 posted by next Thursday. So long for now.